Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802. Or write in at RealGhostStoriesOnline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Hello and welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you. Happy New Year, everyone. Today we got a special treat for you. Uh, as you know, earlier in the year, we did uh, a short film called Spirits in the Air. Our EPPs have seen it in its entirety uh, through the link that we send out to our EPPs. Uh, and if you'd like to see the visuals of this film, which is really how you should view it, because that's the that's how it looks best when you're actually able to see it. You can send it to be an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com. But today on the show, we are going to be sharing with you the audio from that short film so you can hear the ghost stories that uh, that were shared uh, of the haunted Wichita Airport, which is now the Wichita Aviation Museum, the Kansas Aviation Museum. Uh, quite a story, quite, quite a few good stories, uh, and really just a haunting tale uh, that uh, that resides uh, within the walls of that building. If you'd like to see the film, if you'd like to see all the visuals that go along with this, you need to be an EPP. You can sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com, and you'll get that link uh, sent to you in an email so you can see all the haunting visuals. We really put a lot of time into to filming uh, at the airport and some of the, the locations that you hear about, you can see on the screen, and just, it's a creepy place. Uh, it, it, it's, it's hauntingly... Uh, beautiful and creepy all at the same time. It's really a neat place. But anyway, today you get to hear the stories from our short film, Spirits in the Air, on uh, today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. But uh, please do become an EPP so you can see all of this uh, in its full glory and detail. Sign up to be an EPP on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. So without further ado, here is the audio of Spirits in the Air. Real Ghost Stories Online. It is so unexplainable. I mean, in most cases, it seems like there must be somebody here. This building um, was under design beginning in about 1926 or 27. They began construction in 1929, and then uh, construction was halted by the crash of the stock market and resumed in 33 with some federal money that they received from the WPA project, completed in 34 and went into service as a commercial airport. It was always joint commercial, civilian and military. So it was a very active airport during its 20 years lifespan as a primarily commercial airport. Um, a plane landed or took off here every 90 seconds and it was the fourth busiest airport in the country during that 20-year period. I'm the third generation to grow up in the area, and back in the 30s, as a little boy, my grandfather, there wasn't much entertainment around, so he would take the streetcar down to the airport just to watch the planes take off and land. 
any anyone who went off to war who was from, you know, northeastern Oklahoma and the southern half of Kansas, essentially, um, they were all processed through this building. One of our board members, Jody Nelwick, uh, we have pictures of she and her husband standing out in front of the building the day that, that he left to go off to World War II. And conversely, when, when those folks passed away uh, during war, they, their remains were processed through this building. It's a really interesting building. I'd almost like describe it like an artichoke. You can see the layers that have been peeled back on this thing throughout the years, from when it was an active commercial airport terminal to the war years, to the years of restoration. Uh, in its current state today, it, it's really, it, it's all these pieces of history that are making themselves known in this current building. Many, many famous people came through this building. There's all kinds of stories. Some have been corroborated. We have photographs of famous people like Gregory Peck and Gary Cooper here on, on site. And um, Fred Astaire did a tap routine out in the atrium. Charles Lindbergh was here numerous times, actually helped pick the site for this airport. Amelia Earhart, you know, on and on and on the list goes. Uh, so a lot of really neat historic activity here. I love that building. Um, you know, I feel an energy when I go into it. I, I like seeing parts of it that are still as they were when it was an active airport. I like that they're taking care of it though as well and making improvements to it. But it's weird to go into the parts where there are the walls in the same shape as they were when it was abandoned after the Air Force used the building. The Air Force had turned over the building to the Kansas Air National Guard in 1978, I think. And then in 1982, 83, the Kansas Air National Guard just, what they call it, pickling the building. They just closed everything down and boarded it up and walked away. When I walk into the building, I don't really feel like I'm being watched or anything malevolent. Uh, you just, you feel like you're in a place that a lot of people have come and gone, but it's to me a fairly calm feeling, uh, serene feeling, I, I don't really feel threatened, but you do feel like there's a lot that's happened here. You know, the building was a basket case. You know, it had been, the roof had been leaking for years. All of the, well, not all of the plaster, but much of the plaster was collapsing. And so they spent several years, or a couple of years probably, just cleaning the building out, like taking out all the drop ceilings and, and just trying to clean the building up and then it's progressed from there over the past nearly 25 years. Next year is our 25 year anniversary. I hadn't really heard anything about hauntings here, or anything like that. So I went to my first volunteer meeting and before I could say anything of introduction or anything like that, one of the volunteers raised his hand and said, hey, have you heard about the ghosts here? I mean, for myself, you know, I nearly have a PhD. I consider myself a man of science. And so I'm, I'm not gonna say that this place is haunted. What I will say is that I've had some very unusual experiences here that cannot be explained in any scientific objective way that I'm aware of. I'm gonna say it's haunted. From the very beginning, you know, I just, and, and, and maybe this is just because it's an old building, you know, and there's lots of corners and things, but you know, you just have that sort of eerie feeling where you get tingling in your back and that sort of thing. 
But I had been here about a month and I was manager on duty one night for a big wedding reception. And uh, the, the whole place, uh, you know, everybody left and I was the last person here and I was closing everything down and, and I started up in the tower and worked my way down, turning off all the lights and closing everything down and got down to the offices and, and put on the alarm and closed the door and, and I went out and pretty quickly after I arrived here, I got in the habit um, after our first event, I got in the habit of driving to the west end of the building because sometimes people would park down there and then I'd close the gate and they would be locked in. So I got in my car and I drove around the building to the front side of the building to go down to the west end. And as I drove around, I looked to the, my left up at the building and all of the lights were on in the atrium. And that's really, you know, curious. I mean, if I had forgotten like some obscure light in a room, but this was all the main lights in the atrium. So I turned the car around, went back, came inside, turned off the alarm, came upstairs, and when I got up into the atrium, all the lights were off. Wow, this is really, you know, this is, <laughs> this is very odd. So went back, got in my car, had never made it to the west end of the building, so I went back around, and as I was driving past, again, all the lights were on. So I drove down to the west end of the building, no cars. As I was coming back, I stopped and I looked up at the building. The lights were still on. And I, I was just looking at the building for a few seconds and then suddenly the lights went off, the lights went on, the lights went off, the lights went on. And at that point, I just said, you know, we'll pay the power bill. <laughs> and I took off and went home. The next morning I arrived, I was the first to arrive and I came in and I came upstairs and when I got into the atrium, all the lights were off. So I called our electrician and you have to understand the other little twist to this is the lights that were on are actually on three separate circuits. So there's two switches all the way across the atrium, you know, 60 feet from each other, and there's another set of switches on the third floor. So even if somebody was trying to play a trick on me, it would have to be three people and they would have to be really well coordinated. It would be quite a feat for it to be somebody pulling a prank on him. I think something in the building is just making their presence known, saying, yep, we're here. I had the electrician come and check all the circuits, and there were no problems with the circuits, there were no problems with the switches, there were no problems with the breakers. And I mean, even if you had a problem like that, you would expect that that would just be with maybe one circuit, like you had one bad breaker or one bad switch, not three. That's really creepy. I mean, I don't know that I would be going back to check on the lights as many times as he did. I mean, especially when all three of the breakers are flipping on and off at that point, it's just, all right, I'm out. You ghost do whatever you want. Uh, it, it's your place now. I can't explain that. I'm not gonna try to explain it, but uh, it, I know it happened and it's very odd. <laughs> This place doesn't have just like one haunting. There are so many stories and seemingly so many things in this building. I, I, I feel like we are just skimming the surface with what we heard uh, from Lon. This was, I'd, I'd been with the museum maybe a couple or three years at that time. Another event, I was manager on duty, closed the whole place down, put on the alarm, <clears throat> left and got in my car. I got about maybe a half mile down the road and my cell phone rang. Looked at it, 
and it was the fax line from the museum, which I thought, you know, that's very odd. I mean, first of all, um, I hadn't been gone 30 seconds, so for someone to open the main gate, get in the building, unlock the office, turn off the alarm, and call me from our fax line uh, would be unlikely. And then why would they call from our fax line? You know, it just, it was just bizarre. So I turned the car around, I came back, came in the office, turned everything off, went over to the fax machine, and picked up the receiver, and there was no dial tone. How is that possible? So, um, started trying to think, you know, how could there be no dial tone? And then I remembered a few days earlier, they'd come and installed all of our new phones, our new phone system. So I looked behind the cabinet, and when I did, they had apparently forgotten to plug the fax machine back into the phone line. So, you know, here's a fax machine. It's not even plugged into the phone line. There's no way you could make a call from that phone. But I received a phone call on my cell phone from that, that line. Could there be a logical explanation to the fax machine story? Yes, but again, there's a lot of pieces that just seem to be playing together all too well for this to be a coincidence. Well, in this day and time, most of the phones people use are either their cell phone or cordless phone. So I think it's kind of interesting that they chose to use the fax phone, which is probably one of the only phones in that building that has a cord on it. I think it is something that they are familiar with. You know, having that cord on there looks more like the phone that would have been there back in the day when the airport was actually an airport. I'm a bit of an insomniac, and when we do major projects around the museum, renovation projects, we always build uh, volunteer time into those projects. And almost every time we do, for one reason or another, there's, pro there's, there's parts of that volunteer component that either the volunteers decide they don't want to do, or they can't do it, or we need it done faster than they're able to do it for construction reasons or whatever. And so I've spent quite a bit of time since I've been here, you know, painting, mudding, you know, whatever. And a lot of times, since I am kind of an insomniac, I'll come out here in the middle of the night and work on those projects. Well, one night um, I was working on a project uh, down in what used to be our conference room at the far east end of the building. and. You know, painting away, and all of a sudden I hear this like blood-curdling scream. Sounds like a female voice. <clears throat> so, put my paint uh, paintbrush down and went out into the atrium where I heard, you know, from the the source of the sound, and and turned on the lights and looked all around and looked in ancillary rooms, and you know, I couldn't find anybody. There was nobody, no no other humans there. And so then I thought, well, I'll just stand really still for a while. It was pretty windy that night. It's uh, because this is the highest point in Wichita, it's sort of at the top of a little crest and it does get really windy out here. And so I thought, well, maybe there's wind whistling through a window or something. Couldn't hear anything like that. I mean, I heard some other kinds of sounds as a result of the wind, some sort of like banging sounds and different things. They were obviously from the wind, but didn't hear any screaming or sort of screeching sound like that. Finally, I just turned off the lights and went back to work and went about, you know, five minutes and 
all of a sudden I heard it again. I mean, it sounded, it, it really sounded like um, a woman was being beaten or you know, otherwise accosted in, in a way that would make her really fearful and scream really loud. Um, and it sounded like, it's, the voice sounded like it was saying something, but I couldn't quite make out what it was saying. Um, so I went back out into the atrium, turned all the lights on again, and nothing, just nothing. Wow, this is strange. So I went back and one more time I started painting and I heard the screaming again, went back out in the atrium, couldn't hear anything. And finally, honestly, and I'm not a person that gets freaked out easily, but I was getting a little freaked out. So I just put the paint stuff away and went home, called it a night. Uh, I tend to think that the scream is possibly a residual haunting. Um, you know, as sad as it is, a lot of the people that didn't survive World War II came back through that airport, and I don't know why, but I just wonder if that scream isn't a family member that was there to claim their loved one and the distraught that they were feeling at that time. I really hope that is a residual haunting. I mean, I, I feel horrible for whatever initially caused that to be what it is, but Anytime you're alone in a building in the middle of the night and you hear a woman screaming and there is no woman actually there screaming, uh, that's, that's, that's more than I could actually handle if I were in his shoes. Again, I was here one night. Uh, I was painting the area at the top of the stairs where we came up out of the engine room. Uh, there's an exhibit there um, now kind of on the history of the building. We were preparing that area. And so um, at the top of the stairs, I was painting the wall to the right painted, turned the corner, and I was painting, I was actually cutting in at the top of that, the next wall above the window. And I heard this, like just a little sound. I didn't know what it was. And so I turned and looked to my right, and in the paint that I had just painted, like somebody had, with their finger, had made letters. It said, I did it with an exclamation point. I took a picture of it with my cell phone and it didn't appear in the photograph. And um, it was, I mean, that, that was the one time that I was like, I was really freaked out that, about that. Again, I can't explain why it happened or anything like that or who that might have been. I know I was here alone. There was no other human being here. Um, and I, I took my brush and painted over it quickly and put the brushes away and left and went home. That was the last time that I spent much time here in the middle of the night painting or doing anything like that. But then about two months later, um, I was sitting in my office one day, I was really busy working. I was on deadline to finish a grant proposal and a very elderly lady walked in my office <clears throat> and um, was insisting on having a, a personal tour of the museum and I tried to set her up with one of our docents and said, no I want you to take me through the museum okay so we took off to go through the museum uh, we got out out into the atrium and I was telling her about some of the work we've been doing and she made a beeline for the area right behind us where we're sitting and there's a stair right behind us and she proceeded to go down those stairs which is a non-public area and I, you know, was running behind her saying, ma'am, 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 don't go down there. And she just kept going. And at the bottom of those stairs, in the back of the first room, there was a secondary room. 
It's just about probably 15 by 12, a small room. She insisted on going in that in the, that series of rooms, and I said, no, man, we don't take people in there. And she was really stern about it and to, to the point where I finally unlocked the door. She went through the door and went immediately back to that smaller room in the back. And by the time I got there, she was sobbing uncontrollably. And she grabbed me and she had her put her head on my shoulder, understanding I barely know this person. And, but I was trying to comfort her and she sobbed for about 10 minutes, just sort of uncontrollably. And finally gained her regained her composure. And um, you know, I said, now ma'am, you have to tell me what's going on here. She was, she thinks like six or seven, and her family was out here. They were out back, as I described earlier, people would come here and watch planes. And um, she was sitting there with her mom and dad on a blanket watching the planes come in. And uh, a gentleman came over and uh, indicated that he was the maintenance man here. And he was, that he, he provides tours for kids and would take her and show her the tower and other parts of the, the airport. So parents said, sure, go ahead. And he took off with her little girl and you know they did go up to the tower and other places. And um, their tour culminated in that room. And that was the room where he actually lived. He had a cot and so forth there and that was, he stayed there. And then he proceeded to molest her in that room. She had never been back to the air terminal after that. She had never told anybody about it until she came that day. And so I guess she was just trying to gain a little bit of closure uh, about it. And I don't know that there's a connection between those two incidents, but it just seems ironic to me that that happened and then she came here. Um, interesting. Being that it was supposedly the maintenance man that molested the woman when she was a child, and that it was when Lon was painting, you know, something that the maintenance man probably would have been in charge of, that he got the message, I did it. I just think that that's kind of ironic, that maybe it was because he was doing maintenance type work that the spirit wrote, I did it in the paint, which is something he would have been in charge of. That's a really disturbing story to me. And, and also disturbing in the fact that he came back, this maintenance man and put that in paint. If, if that is in fact what that message was and who it was from, what's disturbing is to me is what does he mean by I did it. Is he trying to confess to get something off his mind, off his chest? Is he proud of it? You don't know. I mean, it's like a text from a ghost. I mean, what the hell is he trying to say and why, more importantly, is he saying it? I I hate to admit this, but on numerous occasions when I've had, and I, I just described three or four things that have happened to me in the six and a half years I've been here, I've had 30 experiences like that. But um, I have to admit, there's been times when I actually spoke as if somebody was here because it felt like somebody was here you know you see I did it written in paint where you just painted it, it's it's like you're looking around going did someone walk up when I wasn't paying attention and write that on the wall and then and take off just to play a joke on me I definitely think the airport is haunted I think that there are a lot of spirits haunting it not just one or two I think that there's all kinds of spirits haunting it I think there's you know, intelligent entities as far as 
you know, possibly the maintenance man. And also, I think, you know, residual hauntings and just energies. And, and sometimes that peek into the past, you know, even just hearing music from the 30s and 40s. They could hear bustling, like the sounds of a terminal. They like that, you know, the people talking and like music and um, just the sounds that you might hear if this was, you know, back in the day when this was actually a terminal. Every single soldier who perished in World War II, his or her remains were processed through this building. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Um, it's really hard to identify what's going on at the airport. There's so many things, good and bad, reported by Alon and his staff and the volunteers even before he was even there. So to say it's just one ghost or this or that, I think he, I think is really understating what is going on uh, in that building. There you go. That's Spirits in the Air. That's the audio from our short film we put together earlier in the year. If you'd like to see it in its entirety with all of the visuals, uh, the way it was truly meant to be experienced, sign up to be an EPP on our website, realghoststoriesonline.com. You will surely enjoy it. And when you're an EPP, you'll get all those bonus episodes, 18 brand new episodes just waiting for you, 19 total episodes uh, as we release a new episode uh, this weekend. Brand new episodes of Real Ghost Stories Online starting up again Monday here at realghoststoriesonline.com. For Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.